Hey guys, it's Mom Taraj, the podcast about being a mom that thinks that most mom stuff is super boring. So we created our own posse. I'm Ashley. And I'm Carrie. And we are ready to walk you down the red carpet of motherhood. Hey guys, welcome to the show. Happy Wednesday. Happy Wednesday. God, the vibe <laughs> is so different with now that we have a different president. It's like so different. It's so different. We are making all kinds of weird voices. Before it was like, so this show I seriously have been planning yeah. for months. Yes, you have. We have an amazing doctor, Dr. Kate Chick, who's a therapist, a psychologist, not just a therapist, and the author of Anxiety, The Ultimate Teen Guide. She's an expert in anxiety disorders in children, and we are going to be doing a little two-part series with her this week being the first part. It's a great interview. And we're also going to be talking about first crushes, best and worst Valentine's Day gifts, you know, in prep for our big Valentine's Day show. You know what I hate? What? <laughs> when people say Valentine's. But it is Valentine's. Times, when they say Valentine's. Oh, times. Uh, like when someone asks you a question? Yeah, or so they say they're going to the library. I've heard, like, doctors say library. I'm like, come on, educated people of the world. Guys, stay tuned. And as always, we have hashtag swag bag. But up next, the, the tits and the shits. Okay, so my tits just happened. It's hot off the presses. Oh. I was walking my dog to go to UPS, and my kid was with my baby daddy at the playground. The handsome, late 20-something UPS store guy hit on me. Hmm, Randall. I love this. I know. Randall was like, oh, I can see from your UPS profile you used to live in Brooklyn. Did you just move? Like, he's like chatting me up for my UPS profile. I don't want to rain on this parade. I just wish his name wasn't Randall. I know. It really. He makes me think of when Harry met Sally, one of my all-time favorites, when he's like, you can't have good sex with a Sheldon. A Sheldon could do your taxes. You don't say do me, Sheldon. Anyway, (laughs) Randall. Well, I'm not going to do Randall, but, and then he like chatted me up. He complimented my dog. We talked about what was in my packages. Sexy. Guys, this is what it's come to. This is like my Bridgerton. (laughs) We talked about what was in my packages. When mail gets you wet, you're really in trouble. You really have been in a pandemic for a year. Listen, I mentioned that I'm into birds and I'm making my own ice cream. Hey, you're not getting any judgment from me. I am right there with you. So anyway, Randall asked me for my digits and I was like, did you give them? And I go, Randall, my digits are 4'2 as in my age. <laughs> what did he say? He goes, oh, you don't look, I, maybe it's the mask. I can't tell. I really like your mask. And I was like, thanks. You were like, no, baby, it's the Botox. And I was like, I did take a shower and put on mascara today. And then when I met at the park, uh, one of our like local friends was also, we like passed them on the street and we're like yelling at each other across the street. And I told her about that. And she's like, I can tell you took a shower today. That's why. I was like, when your friend knows from across the street whether or not you've taken a shower, you know you've looked really bad. Like just like full trash person. I talk to you multiple times a day and I can never tell when you've taken a shower. I don't know what if that's good or bad. I just, no, I just assume you always have taken a shower. Nah, nah, brah. You don't ever look dirty to me is what I'm trying to say. Listen, when I send you pictures where I look like Whitney's dad, that's usually when I have a take a shower. <laughs> to clarify, she means Whitney from Salt Lake City. That's right. Whitney's dad. Yeah. And then the shits are, I don't know. I don't really have shits. Luna's been kind of like good lately and I'm working out and although I'm not losing weight, it's making me feel good. And uh, my shits are that I'm running out of things to cook. Yeah, I feel ya. Like I don't have the attention span right now. To, like, take on some new recipes. Like, to seek them out and, like, yeah. really buy the ingredients and do them. I got to be in the mood to do that. Like, I go through a tear where I do, like, all new recipes the whole week because I'm in that mindset. I'm, like, not there to do yeah. that. But I'm getting really bored of eating, like, the same 12 things over and over again. So that's my shits. It's, like, some really low-key shits, which, thank God. Because yeah. sometimes— I mean, honestly, we need that right now. I mean, half of our episodes last year were, like, just death. So, like, that was <laughs> mostly shit. So we deserve— Well, this other person in my family died. <laughs> yeah. We have our time in the sun here. So how about you, Ash? My 
my tits are, we're still riding high off of this solo time. Like big, hardcore riding high. I actually had time to miss my husband. Dad, stop listening. I sexted a little bit. Yeah, girl. You know, I feel like we're a little bit back in our groove. I'm not trying to be TMI, but you know, that's what we do here. But it just feels good to be back in that groove. You know, I I have this like theory that it's not a theory. If you don't use it, you lose it. And I wasn't using it. But we back, baby. That's right. That's right. Get it, girl. Um, my shits are. What if I was like, my shits are? He beat that pussy up. <laughs> <laughs> my shits. I don't have any. I'm good. I'm like, that's I'm not right. a shits for me. That's a shits. <laughs> Hope he beat them titties up too. Yeah. <laughs> he did. <laughs> Next up, Dr. Chicks. Stay tuned. (laughs) Our first guest is Dr. Kate Chick, a psychologist who has worked with children and teenagers in a variety of settings, from schools, community mental health centers, and private practice. Dr. Chick recently published her first book, Anxiety, The Ultimate Teen Guide, an excellent resource for teenagers and their families. Let me just interrupt my own talking about you. I wish I had this book when I was a teenager. Um, (laughs) This book is available at Barnes & Noble and on Amazon. And we are super excited to be doing a two-part series with her on anxiety and OCD in kids. And we'll be separating these episodes or dividing these episodes by age range. So today we'll do like kind of the younger kids. The week after that, we'll do some some older kids because it's a lot of material to cover and we were trying to figure out the best way to bring it to you. Thank you so much for coming to talk to us, Dr. Chick. Hi, Dr. Chick. Hi, how are you? Good, how are you? Good, I'm so excited to be here. Thank you for joining us. My pleasure. This pandemic has made so many people who never had anxiety before have anxiety. I, for one, have always had anxiety, but I had to find a new therapist in all of this. And let me just tell you, that was something at this time. Have you seen the same thing in children? Absolutely, not a question. You know, we know kids thrive on structure and predictability which frankly, so do adults. Um, And we've really seen everything about the predictability of our world really just upended in the past year. You know, school is open and it's closed and it's open and, you know, we can go outside, we can't go outside. Things that were considered fine before and now suddenly are not. All that is enough to raise anyone's anxiety. But the other thing is that kids are very sensitive to the moods of the adults in their lives. You know, we know they're kind of like little sponges in that regard. So when parents and teachers are bringing a certain level of anxiety and anxiety, aspiration to the table, kids are picking up on that. It's one thing for a kid to hear, you have to wear a mask, just kind of matter of fact, but it's another thing for them to hear something like, if you don't wear a mask, you'll get sick, or we can't see your grandparents because this would endanger them, or things like that, which are scary messages and are really not the norm in our children's lives. So that can raise anyone's anxiety. I mean, my three-year-old calls it the virus. He says, oh, we can't go there because of the virus. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, yes, yeah. Pretty much. So Ashley is a three-year-old and I have a two-year-old. My two-year-old is now obsessed with like asking if things have germs. Mm-hmm. And she keeps watching the Daniel Tiger sick episode like mm-hmm. over and over and over again and saying people get sick, people germs. And I like we, I don't think we talk out loud like that that much, but I guess we do where she hears it, you know, on the phone, us talking to people. That's was something that hit me today. I was just like, whoa, this is not a weird fixation that is unrelated <laughs> to what's going on. It's related. Yeah, I mean, what's going yeah. on around them? So one of the reasons why I really push so hard to have an episode about this is my sister and I have had a long struggle with OCD and anxiety, my brother as well, our whole entire lives. And I personally remember feeling that way at a very, very young age, like even as as young as two. And I had talked, kind of expressed it in my own way when I was a kid to my parents, and they didn't really address it or believe that kids could experience it. I mean, I'm a kid of the 80s and the 70s, so it was a different time. We are going to ask you a couple questions about those things in kids this age. Now, so my first question is, how can 
can you tell the difference between learned behavior or like innate behavior in children this young? This is really the million dollar question, right? Nurture or nature? The truth is that when we're talking about anxiety, it's always a combination of both. We know some kids are genetically predisposed to be on the anxious end of things, but we also know that a genetic predisposition doesn't tell the whole story. Sorry, a big piece is how those genetics are interacting with the child's environment, how the environment's triggering or reinforcing those natural tendencies toward anxious thinking. As parents, I find we're not even conscious of the ways that we're reinforcing our kids' anxiety. Just to give you a quick example, I had a friend who herself had a fear of dogs, and she knew that, and she wanted to be sure her child did not have this fear of dogs. So whenever a dog was around, her son, who was maybe three or four at the time, would kind of look over to her to check in, and she would say things like, you don't have to be scared, just be careful. So in her mind, she was like, oh, I'm helping him not to be afraid of it. But to an outside observer, her anxiety was palpable and her kid was picking up on it and getting the message that something scary is happening here and, you know, dogs are something to be feared. And we do this all the time, you know, not always so obviously and certainly not obviously to us. But, you know, as perfectly well-meaning parents, we end up sending these implicit messages about our own worries or fears. It's not to say that some kids aren't just naturally anxious. They definitely are. My son used to become hysterical at every school drop-off, and my daughter did not bat an eye. And same parents and just different dispositions. But usually it's some combination of how the child is and how we as the parents are responding to them. I was so personally so nervous having a child that I almost didn't have one because I was worried of passing some of my genetic traits Mm -hmm. on to my kids. And so it's something that my sister and I talk about all the time and we're really, we try to be as aware of as possible, Mm -hmm. but no one's perfect. (laughs) We can't always be as careful about our actions and the way, you know, we phrase things as we would like to be. Mm -hmm. What things as parents should we be careful of in actions and the way we phrase things if we suffer ourselves from anxiety and OCD? So a common thing you hear in therapy is the metaphor of the oxygen mask. Put your own mask on first before helping your child. That's just to say, if we're not having our needs met, we're not in a good place to help our kids, to create that space for them, to listen to them, to contain their fears and worries. When we ourselves are feeling anxious or panicky or overwhelmed, right, we have shorter fuses, we escalate things. We can't even hear our kids because we're so distracted by our own stuff. Yeah. On the other hand, when we feel more calm, more contained, then we're not bringing all that stuff to the table. We're able to listen to our kids, to respond in ways that are at their level and meet them where they are. And rather than kind of bringing our own baggage into it. Um, So I think, as you said, you know, it's parents, it's just really important to keep a close eye on yourself and on your reactions to your child and just kind of notice them and wonder about them. It's so interesting. Interesting that you say that because my son was gone for a few days. We He went with his dad somewhere. I went somewhere with my parents. When he came back, my husband, myself, and my son are together all the time. This has really been the first break I have had. When he came back, he was no different than he usually is, but I was different mm-hmm. and I could handle all of his business with a much more level head because I had had an opportunity to kind of collect myself, get myself where I need to be after, you know, almost a year of this nonsense. It really, I, I mean, I really noticed a difference and I just thought, oh my God, I need more time to myself. Right. That's exactly right. And I had a similar experience the other day. I, my son was misbehaving and I found myself just screaming like a banshee at him. And then afterwards, I was like, whoa, where, what was that? And, you know, he was misbehaving, but that reaction was definitely about me and not about him. Yeah. You know, I had to do kind of a little soul searching in my own therapy to figure out why I had reacted that way and kind of what I needed to be able to have my needs met so I could be available to reach him and parent him in a different way. It's also very interesting because every single expert, whether it's about parenting, whether it's about sex, whether it's about finance, (laughs) every expert Carrie and I speak to is like, you need to Mm self-care. You need to take care of yourself first. So I feel like that's the biggest lesson to learn (laughs) for all of us. And shout out to all the moms and dads and caregivers and whoever, stepmoms, stepdads, everybody, because this pandemic, it's already 
be hard as a parent to make time for self-care and to put the oxygen mask on. It's quadruply hard in these pandemic circumstances when a lot of yep. our lifelines like school or childcare or, you know, relatives are not in the mix like we normally have. And even then it's hard. So, hey, everybody, we see you. We hear you. Yep, for sure. <laughs> I hate to use this word. I'm, I'm going to be using air quotes, but what OCD and anxiety behaviors are air quotes normal? And when does it become problematic? All kids have quirks and worries, right? Anxiety or worry can be a natural reaction to new experiences and Kids are having new experiences all the time. That's part of growing up. And they're doing their best to figure it all out and navigate them and come to terms with them. So a large part of that is normal. Even when they're having a tough time, right? As parents, we usually feel like, oh, that's just my kid. It's not. But talk to any mommy groups or anything like that. You start to see that these things which you might be tearing your hair out about, like, you know, your kid doesn't separate nicely or they're being a terror at bedtime. or These are really quite common. But as far as when does it become a problem? I think the proof is really in the pudding, meaning that there are a lot of irritating things our kids do or stages they go through that we just kind of grit our teeth and figure out how to deal with through some combination of, you know, bribery or yelling or, you know, kind of whatever we leaps into our parenting head at the moment. We've tried all of them currently. Yes. Yeah. But sometimes, you know, you kind of reach a point where it feels like, No parenting trick, no amount of cajoling or bribing or punishing or any of the million strategies you've tried is really helping the situation and is kind of getting them past whatever they've gotten stuck on. Their behavior might be getting in the way of really important parts of their lives. It's one thing if your kid is anxious about doing the high ropes course. Okay, fine, skip the high ropes course. Or even if they're anxious about going to the doctor. Okay, fine, you know, how often do they have to do that anyway? Once or twice, that can probably be kind of finagled with some prizes or whatever. But it's a whole other story if they're refusing to leave the house or, you know, they're hysterical about being left alone for 30 seconds. You know, the anxiety just has a different level of severity. It leads to behavior and kind of avoidance of things that's just not sustainable. When you feel like that anxiety has impeded on important parts of your life or your family's life or your child's life, then it's become a problem. And that's kind of when you really need to think about outside resources. Sebastian, my son, tells strangers on the very, very rare times that we encounter them um, that he doesn't like them and they're going to go to jail. Should I be concerned? (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I know it's not normal, but like, is this something that I should... I can continue to kind of laugh off and be like, well, you're three and this is all, you know, being home with mommy and daddy is all you know, or should I be considering something a little more serious? I think you just need to kind of explore with him what that means. Why are they going to jail? You know, at that age, it could be part of a whole kind of fantasy play he's doing in his head, you know, inspired by some TV show or something. I mean, it's hard to know where three-year-olds are coming from all the time or some story he read or it could be coming from a place of separation anxiety that he's, you know, scared to be without you or something like that. You know, again, it kind of depends. I think your level of concern should depend on how much it ends up impeding his life. So, yeah, you know, if he can still be kind of dropped off you know, with his grandparents or at school or whatever it is. And, you know, maybe he says jail, but then he kind of goes along happily. That's fine, (laughs) you know. But if it's kind of become such a problem that he's clinging to you and screaming and, you know, hysterical about these people who are going to jail, then it feels like, okay, this is something that needs to be addressed, really. Okay, we're not at that level. Like he, he stays with my parents once a week and... You know, he doesn't always want to, but it's not a big spectacle. I guess that's a good sign. I'll take it. Thank you. My sister's son, who is three, same age as um, Ashley's son, he has a lot of separation anxiety. He's very clingy to his mother. And then on top of it, he refuses to have like anyone touch his head. He doesn't want to take baths or showers because something's going to touch his head or his hair is going to get washed. He won't get his hair cut. He won't put on a hat to the point where it's like hysterical. Like you think that something really horrible has happened and it has really affected his life. 
life, like Mm -hmm. not wanting to shower. So they have taken him to someone and they're trying to explore if it's sensory or if it's, he is an extremely intelligent child and has had a lot of other anxiety things. And the doctor, so the doctor is a little bit concerned about some behavioral anxiety. But one of the things my sister says, you know, now that she's sort of reached out to get help, she realized that she's not sure when it's real and when her son is playing her because (laughs) he's so smart and he knows that if he says he feels like weirded out or whatever, she'll stop whatever she's doing and pay attention to him. So now she's not sure how much of it is really he's feeling in the moment or now he knows that it'll get the attention it needs. Mm -hmm. And so he like kind of works it. Is there any way to tell when a kid is just like playing you or if it's really a thing or does it even matter? If you are someone who, you know, really is trying to be attuned to your child's emotional inner world, I think it can be very difficult to tell if a child is, you know, kind of doing things in a manipulative way or if they genuinely can't do it. And that's always the question is by allowing them to not wash their hair because the water freaks them out or to, you know, get out of the tub because they're having a meltdown. Are you supporting them or are you enabling them? It's a fine line and it's a tough question to answer. It's something which I think oftentimes a third party person is able to see easier than a parent. If your sister is working with someone, I think it's oftentimes kind of easier for, because as parents, obviously, you know, it tugs at our heartstrings um, when our kids are struggling. But a lot of times it's easier for a therapist to be able to say, yeah, if they're saying that, you know, they just want to talk to you or they just want a hug in the middle of the day, they need that hug. If they're saying it, you know, because you're trying to leave the room for the 800th time at bedtime, they're trying to, you know, keep you from leaving the room. That's kind of when it's time to set a limit. So, but it's definitely a fine line and and a very tricky one to navigate. What can we do ourselves as parents to address and speak about this behavior with our toddlers? Toddlers are tricky because they usually don't have a lot of insight into their own behavior. So, you know, having heart to hearts about anxiety probably just go over their heads. Um, But one thing that can be very helpful, I found, is social stories, which are books or stories about the topic that you want your child to be thinking about. For example, for kids struggling with separation anxiety, I love the books The Kissing Hand by Audrey Penn and The Invisible String by Patrice Karst that are just excellent. For kids who are anxious about an event that happened or a trauma, things like that, there's a book, A Terrible Thing Happened by Margaret Holmes, also excellent. I've even encouraged parents to write their own social stories for kids if they can't find a picture book that exactly covers the topic that they need. Then what happens is these these kinds of stories introduce the child to the concept so that later, you know, if your child is melting down about going to school, you can say things like, oh, wow, it seems like you feel worried about school. You know, just like Chester Raccoon. Remember when that raccoon felt so worried too? And it's kind of created this point of reference and this common language, and it's been something they can mull over. And children love to read the same thing over and over again. Oh, oh we know. We know. We've, oh, <laughs> Jesus. Right. We had a whole top show about it. So, you know, if you can get them into this sort of social story where they're rehearsing this concept concept over and over in their minds, it can be really helpful for kind of planting that seed in terms of parenting. I have to say, God bless Daniel Tiger, because... Yeah, truly. Truly. Daniel Tiger is excellent as, at planting seeds. <laughs> My kid hates it, and I'm so upset about it. <laughs> Luna has started, when she starts to, like, get worked up, like, in a weird way, and by that I mean, like, when she's overly hungry, and she get when she's hangry or tired, like, those kinds of outbursts that kind of just come, she, from watching Daniel Tiger has figured out how to self-regulate and she tells me about it. She's like, I need to take a deep breath. And then she counts to four, composes herself, takes herself out of her franticness and tells me what's going on. I think I need to eat. And I'm like, how are you two years? I can't even do this. And I'm 42 years old. (laughs) And I'm like, I need Daniel Tiger in my life. I'm like so amazed. Like I didn't tell her that. We didn't talk about it. She just watches Daniel Tiger a lot. It's really impressive. Yeah, a lot of the PBS kids programming is so great at laying the foundation for some of these skills for helping kids regulate emotionally and kind of understand things. And it's just fantastic. Are anxiety and OCD 
things that toddlers grow out of? Like, is it in a developmental stage where it's something like because everything's so new that there's trepidation and anxiety about it? Do they grow out of it? Yes and no. We are wired the way we're wired. So if you're someone who kind of has a natural bend toward the anxious side of things, most likely that will always be a part of who you are. Just like some people are more likely to be explosive or be depressed or things like that. That's just kind of where they um, tend toward. But as we discussed before, the environment is really a big piece of the puzzle. And so if parts of the child's environment is changing, you may start to see changes in how they're presenting. Doesn't mean they've kicked their anxiety genes to the curb. It just means they may feel better supported by their environment or they found some kind of coping strategy that's working for them. And just as an example, one summer, my son was terrified of going to this one day camp. Part of it was his anxiety as an anxious kid, but part of it was that the camp had this kind of very no-nonsense, get-with-the-program kind of attitude, which was just not working for him. And presumably doesn't work for a lot of four-year-olds. And we switched him to a different day camp that was just much more lovey-dovey and nurturing, and he did great, and he loved it. It didn't mean he'd outgrown his anxiety, but in a different environment, he was just better able to get a handle on it. So that's one thing. And another thing to note is just that often anxiety kind of changes and morphs throughout our lives. You know, I've spoken with teenagers who had separation anxiety when they were little, and then they had social anxiety when they were older, say in middle school, high school, which, you know, on paper are two different problems, you know, in quotes, but it's really part of the same picture. So while your child may grow out of kind of one anxious phase, the chances are high that anxiety may resurface in in other ways throughout their life. How can we help our children deal with the anxiety and depression that is coming out of this pandemic and may not be innate to them? As we said before, I think managing our own emotional barometer is huge. Our children are understanding the world through our eyes and picking up on our stress level. When they're hearing from us that the world is a crazy place and there are scary things that, you know, we can't control and no one can control, they're absorbing all of that. You know, on the flip side, when they're hearing that even though there's coronavirus, they're safe, you're safe, everything is okay, then that's shaping their outlook of the world. I know it can be kind of unnerving to parents to try to make life seem safe and predictable for their kids when they themselves are not sure, but this is really what you have to do. Even if you don't feel safe, your child must feel safe. The truth is we can never guarantee with any certainty our kids are safe or we're safe. We don't know for sure that, you know, kind of burglars won't break into our house or that, you know, we won't get sick tomorrow or whatever it is, but we tell our kids that we're safe and that they're safe and their world is safe. And this is what we need to do now, no matter how much chaos we may feel or that we're surrounded by. Oh gosh, I just had a memory. This is why you're a good therapist. I just had a memory. I was brought back, (laughs) Dr. Chick, to the movie Life is Beautiful Uh, when the father worked so hard to make the Holocaust not a terrible mm -hmm. thing for his kid. Mm -hmm. And I remember just watching that and my dad is like, my dad's a therapist and he's a very funny guy and he had made me laugh through a lot of really difficult circumstances. I just was like, oh God, that is what it's about as a parent. Like, can we make it okay for our kid even when it's not okay? Right, exactly. Sorry to bring it back to the Holocaust, guys. Yeah, I mean, today is Holocaust Remembrance Day. So very timely, friend. Can pandemic anxiety become long-term if it's not addressed? As with any kind of very stressful situation in a child's life, it's really all about how it's handled and how the child is supported through it. Because kids are extremely, resilient. If we give them the right tools, they're very adaptable, much more so actually than adults, I think. You know, just as an example, the ease with which I see classes full of four and five-year-olds now wearing masks for eight hours a day just blows me away. I would have thought this would be like a huge stressor. There's no way this is going to work. These kids are going to riot. You know, turns out the teacher just kind of set the expectation and gave them a few reminders. And next thing you know, they're all doing it. They're doing it better than grownups. Yeah, that's for sure. Exactly. And so we know that there are ways to support kids in the face of all this turmoil. Obviously, the more we're able to do that and the more we're, we're able to normalize it, the more that we're setting them up for success down the line. That's actually uh, reassuring. What is the most important thing that we can do as parents to make our children feel safe and heard and taken care of just overall? The 
number one thing I would say is to be present for them. I think this is the most important thing and also the hardest thing because we have so much going on right now. Many of us are juggling working from home and lack of childcare and all kinds of increased expectations put on us. And it's really hard to set aside time, not just to be with your kids, but to be emotionally available to your kids, to really listen to them, to play with them, to be in the moment, not to be kind of half listening and half on your phone or mentally checked out or kind of thinking about the emails you have to answer when they go to bed and trying to be really there for them, with them, listening and responding to them in the moment and just giving them that space to bring any worries or thoughts about whatever they're working through into that space with you. And there's a quote actually I love from a psychologist, Dr. Lawrence Cohen, who wrote this book, Playful Parenting. Children don't say, I had a hard day at school. Can I talk to you about it? They say, will you play with me? That really resonated with me because it's so true. It's like kids aren't going to tell you point blank if they're worried or upset. At least most kids won't, and especially the younger group. But it doesn't mean they don't need that space to process and be supported as they work through things. And in the current climate, they need it more than ever. This is so helpful. Thank you so much. So many of us as parents are really worried about this thing being the coronavirus and how it psychologically affects our children, whether or not you are worried about OCD and anxiety because of hereditary stuff in your family. It makes me a little bit sad for a younger version of me, of, of little Carrie, who, you know, was trying to, you know, our parents do the best that they can. And like I said, it was a different time. But I just remember like throwing up every single day before school. Every single day I threw up before school. And I would had money to call my mom to pick me up from school. I just had this really debilitating anxiety and I would have to like leave school sometimes. And I tried to express it, but I was little. And so instead, you know, I just threw up a lot and <laughs> developed a worry stomach ulcer at a young age and just, you know, didn't feel good a lot of the time, was extra protective of my mom and my grandmother. And really, it was really bad anxiety, you know? Well, thankfully, I, I think mental health has just really come a long way and people are just much more aware of it. Um, and so many parents, you know, as you said now, are aware of things which they felt like they needed and didn't get when they were kids and are now, you know, looking for resources to provide that to their children. Yeah. Yeah. I was just going to say, I recently, we had an episode where I talked about um, I did not have self-care and I was triggered and had kind of a panic attack in front of my daughter. And she was obviously very upset just seeing me get upset. She came over to me and tried to tell me to take a deep breath like Daniel Tiger. And I got really upset because I felt like I didn't want my child to be responsible for my mental health. Looking back on it now, I don't feel exactly the same way. I feel like I should have handled it better. Like I don't regret having a panic attack in front of her. I more regret not taking her in and like, you're right, like making it a teachable moment. You're mm -hmm. right. Mommy feels really terrible, but she could take a deep breath. Instead, I like was like, oh my God, now I'm even a worse parent, you know, that kind of thing. Well, I would say it's really, it's never too late to circle back and make it a teachable moment. You know, I've had moments like that. And then even, you know, weeks later, I'm like, you know, I was thinking about that time. Do you remember when I, mommy got so upset about, you know, whatever it was and the kids are usually like, uh, yeah, we remember it. <laughs> yeah, my kid remembers everything, yeah. Right, and then you're like, you know, I was just realizing that, you know, I think I, I know why I got so upset, but I think next time what I should do, you know, and, and just going over it with them and helping them kind of see your process and that you get upset too, just like they get upset and, you know, that you got really, really upset and kind of what you could do next time and the same process you would want them to go through. Yeah, that's good. I'm, that's, that's smart. I should revisit that for both of us. That was a really us. good question, by the way. Oh, thank you. Yeah. So tell the people where they can find you, your website, your social media, whatever you want to plug. Your book. So I'm pretty old school. I don't have social media. Good for you. <laughs> but um, I am a practicing psychologist in Stanford, Connecticut, who works with children. And you should definitely check out my book if you are a parent of a teenager or 
There's just a lot of good information about anxiety, even if you're not. Um, it's called Anxiety, the Ultimate Teen Guide. It was published by Roman and Littlefield. Um, and you can get a copy at Amazon or Barnes & Noble. Awesome. And like we said in the show notes, we'll have that contact information for you in case anybody wants to reach out. And we look forward to having you on again, where we talk a little bit about some of these older ages, kids, and anxiety. Great. What Ashley and I have to look forward to when our kids get older. Oh, yes. I think my kiddo is going to be quite a handful from what I can see. So looking forward. Yeah. (laughs) Right. Well, it's the whole kind of three-nager situation. Well, thank you so much. Thank you, Dr. Chick. And we'll talk to you soon. Thank you. All right. Should we do our, should we talk about our first crushes and like best and worst Valentine's Day gifts? Yeah. I have a very vivid memory of my first crush. Um, His name was Daniel Cohen. He was at my school and it was kindergarten. I said that's so weird. Kindergarten. I feel like we were visiting the school or visiting the class, getting paperwork before school started or something. And he and I were cleaning up something in the classroom. And I just remember locking eyes with him and him smiling and it being like slow motion. And that was my first big like real kid crush that I remember. How long did it last? Oh God, I was in that school with him till I left for the sixth grade. And even in the sixth grade, when I moved to New Jersey, I still thought about Daniel Cohen. <laughs> oh, this is this is this is my Joe Scullion. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This was this was like a big deal crush. I just thought he was so beautiful. But like, I just remember looking at him, and it was almost like there were cartoon birds flying, playing with his hair. You know, there was music, a soft breeze, maybe. <laughs> It was magical. And then actually I looked him up the other day on Facebook. Love it. Yeah. He didn't he didn't age well? He did. He did age very well, but like not my thing. Yeah. He's in very good shape. He's like jacked and stuff. It's just you've seen my husband. I'm not into like big guys like that. That's right. Yeah. You know, even a little guy can pound a pussy. We found that out earlier. Anyway. I believe in comedy, they call that a shout back. <laughs> so my first crush, I kind of count two. My first one was a similar to your Dan Cohen in that it was Joe Scullion. He was my neighbor and we went to preschool together and we used to walk to school together. By yourselves? No, our moms would walk and go oh, okay. like drink coffee and we would walk together. I used to play over his house. He had a lot of brothers and I... There wasn't a lot of kids on my street, so we used to play. I used to play with his brothers, and I slept over their house every once in a while. I, to this day, Joe Scullion is such a dreamboat, and my whole family knows. Everybody loved Joe Scullion. I don't know why I took a chance. My uncle Jimmy still sends me pictures of Joe Scullion because he's like one of the chief police officers in my town. He's like, look at Joe Scullion. Oh, he got a merit badge today for saving this woman. Is he still hot? He is smoke in hot. Huh. He hasn't married and has a kid. He, my uncle Jimmy would be like, look, because he, he, they still live next, like right in my neighborhood. He's like, Joe Scullion's at the beach. Check out that bud. <laughs> he sends me just like stalker pictures of him, like taking a picture of Joe Scullion at the beach with his family. He's like, check it out. Still looking good, right, Carrie? Maybe there's still hope. So Joe Scullion, and I went from preschool through to high school with him. So we went to pre-K, K, one, two, three, the whole thing till high school. So I was in school with him that entire time. We never dated. I never told him I liked him. Was he nice to you all the time? Always, always. Oh, that's nice. He was just the most gentle, sweet, kid. We just like didn't run in the same circles beyond the fact that we were neighbors. Right. After we like, you know, the initial like we we play with each other because we're the same age age, right. then it did it wasn't applicable. You know, we mm. we just had different interests and we're really different people, but he is just the sweetest and I still see him in my town and he's just like the nicest, just sweetest guy. And I'm still like friends with his family cuz I'm from a really small town. But really my biggest first love that I really consider is Danny Bastelica. We actually texted early today when he sent me a text that said, I follow Momtourage and I can't believe you did an episode Uh, on Blippi. I'm so excited. Oh, what age was this? This was an actual boyfriend, right? Yes, this was my first boyfriend. This was seventh and eighth grade. We dated and then I moved and we stayed in touch and we're still like best friends. And we went to each other's proms when we didn't have dates, even though we moved. That's nice. I still, we still text all the time. Like we text all the time. He's married with kids. We like 
had a cute little do-over in between boyfriends before he, like, way, way before his girlfriend, uh, now wife, and, you know, like, do-over, like, just casual, like, yeah, little make-out session, nothing, like, serious, but we've always been best friends, and we both say that we were, like, each other's real first love, and thank God that we were each other's first love because we're such good people, and we really like each other. That's so nice. Yeah, we still are really close. I still am close to his family, and man, Danny Bastelica is the best. He just, he used to make me mixtapes of Billy Joel. That's why I love Billy Joel so much. Do you remember the magic of a mixtape or like a big CD? I still have a few of them. Not ones from guys, just ones in general. And it's such a, like, it's such a memory. It's such a memory. My first real love, I got the only other guy I think I ever really loved other than Matt was my college boyfriend, Mike Zinkum. We were together, I think, like two years or something. He proposed to me in the White Castle parking lot (laughs) (laughs) at uh, Seaside Heights. I said no. I was like, I love you. I want to marry you. But like, this is not, this isn't how this can happen. <laughs> I mean, you do love we fast live in food dorms. though, you know? I do love fast food, but not White Castle. At least do Taco Bell, bro. Taco Bell Cantina, at least. Uh, yeah, get me like that like, Mountain Dew slushy with some tequila in it, yeah. please. I loved him and he was a goofy ass motherfucker. Just that guy that is just goofy. Yeah. But I was nuts over him. But um, he cheated on me. There, there you have it folks danny and i our love stayed true we never yeah we were young seventh and eighth grade (laughs) oh yeah no this was college and also it was very toxic i was a toxic person back then you know i didn't know how to fight respectfully you know what i mean yes yes i do so how about like best and worst valentine's day gifts i've gotten some real bomb valentine's day gifts and by bomb i mean terrible not like bomb diggity i can't think of one, but I'll tell you the worst Christmas gift. Yeah, yeah. Um, because it was from a boyfriend. I mean, it's person. not the right holiday, but I'll take it. Yeah, but it was like a it was a romantic gift. But I dated the school like bad boy at one point, very briefly. I'm not gonna say his name just in case. Okay. He I remember it was snowing. My parents hated that I was dating him. Hated it. He walked in the snow to my house, which like we didn't live in the same town, in like a blizzardy snowstorm for some reason. I don't know why he did that. And brought my Christmas gift, which was a ceramic dragon, like the kind you buy in Chinatown. And he was like very proud of this gift. And I just remember being like, do you even know who I am? Like, do you know anything about my being because this is not anything I want at all sir and I think that's really that was the nail in the coffin but that was the worst I love that to this day I'm just bewildered why would you get somebody (laughs) and then walk with it in the snow I mean he seemed dedicated Ash I, uh, I think he just like liked parents not liking him that's kind of what I think I think he was more into the fact that my parents didn't like him than. And then he continued it by having. Yeah, by giving you a terrible gift. Yeah. I was dating this boy that was like pretty serious, actually. It was in college. I dated him at the end of college and then we stayed together. He graduated before me because he was a year older than me and moved to New York and we still continued to date, which like a graduated like man in New York and a kid in college. Like that doesn't seem like it's going to work. Yes. So he came back from New York to visit me in college for Valentine's Day weekend because like I couldn't go because I didn't have a car because I'm in college, you know, and I was all excited. My boyfriend who lives in New York is coming back to visit me, you know, for the weekend. Now granted, I went to school not far from New York. It was like 45 minutes, but it seems like a big deal when you don't have a car and your boyfriend is a grown adult man who lives in New York and he was older than me anyway he comes and he brings me a fucking California raisin doll like statue like small statue <laughs> like a very small and I know he got it at the Port Authority because he had to take the bus from the Port Authority <laughs> to my that, college that Hallmark store that yes, used to be in there yes. <laughs> Because it was about the size of my thumb and it was like glued to the box and it was a motherfucking California raisin holding with the goddamn white sneakers, the fucking white gloves holding a rose and it looked like a, a turd. It looked like a turd holding a rose. Did you like it when you got it or did no. you open it and you were like, what the fuck I, is this? First of all, it was like past when California raisins were even cool. I mean, I know I'm old. I wanted to ask that, but I was like, what if it was when she was younger? I, just I don't peed know. I myself a little bit. 
<laughs> like, I'm old. Like, California raisins were popular like when I was in, like, third grade, and I'm in college. So it's, like, definitely question number one. Hallmark, what's with this back merchandise? Like, this is fucking terrible. <laughs> Two, it's so old that it's got to have been like on slashed discount sale. It was for people who were like, hey. It was definitely the last one, too, because it was glued to the top of the box. Usually I have one on display and the rest are in the box, and this one like, was the last glued. one out. He got me like literally all things that he picked up like <laughs> 40 minutes ago at Port Authority. It was like, like a rose from like the store that was in front of Au Bon Pain. And then like the hallmark as he was like running to get the bus upstairs. It was like a California raisin turn. I've never even mentioned I like the California raisin. And I was thinking about breaking up with him anyway. And I just got this and I was like, oh, please leave. He like brought you gas station sushi. (laughs) I was like, please leave. And he's like, what? I just got here. I just got here. I'm so excited to sleep in your single bed in a room with another person. (laughs) And I'm like, just leave. You don't even understand. I'd rather have gotten nothing. He could have just written me a letter, which is true. He could have just written me a letter. He was also a painter. He was an artist. He could have painted something. He literally could have done a line drawing for two seconds on a piece of paper. It would have been better. Oh, my God. And he fucking got me a shriveled up California raisin. I was like so offended. That was the end. I was like, we can't. We can't do this anymore. But do you remember like a good Valentine's Day? I don't, the nuns stand out to me. I don't know why. I mean, I feel like Valentine's Day gestures that are big are always terrible. I love Valentine's Day. Like I love the idea of Valentine's Day. I like that it's a whole day dedicated to telling people how much they mean to you and how much you love them. I think that's really nice. I love like the little gifts on Valentine's, you know, like heart socks, stupid shit like that. But I don't like going out on Valentine's Day. I think it's like the, I'm like very very cheap about it. I think it is the biggest ripoff in the entire world. The food is rarely good. Usually like these tiny ass portions that they charge way too much for. So that's what I have to say about that. Yeah, I think last year or whenever I didn't have a baby, because let's be real, I haven't done anything on Valentine's Day since I had a baby. So the whatever year it was that I was not knocked up or had a kid, Lee and I went to like a really late night showing at the Nighthawk Cinema of like an old movie and then had cocktails for Valentine's Day. Oh, that's what I did. Wait, sorry. Sorry, hold on. That triggered something. When we lived in LA, Matt, so my all-time favorite movie is Breakfast at Tiffany's. I know. I'm so basic. I'm oh, so God, sorry, but seriously. it's true. But Matt got us tickets to the Arclight. I think it was like the one in Pasadena, and they were playing Breakfast at Tiffany's, and we snuck in like canned wine, and that was That's really nice and See? special. Yeah, like that, it was such a sweet I know you'd like this gesture. That was a nice one. I can't believe I I didn't remember that off the top of my head. Listen, you're a horrible wife. I know. That's why. It's also, we've been together for so fucking long, I can't remember them all. I just remembered another horrible Valentine's Day thing. It wasn't horrible for me, but it was horrible for the other person. So I was dating this guy. We're now best friends, and we we're uh-huh. always should have been better friends. Why are you best friends with all of these guys? I, I'm not I just, just friends. Am. You're best friends with yeah, all so these guys. Yeah, so is Lee. I don't know. We just, I get along well with people after I break up with them. I don't, I don't know. It's weird. I don't know. This guy, although from the beginning, we kind of knew we were better friends. We were just trying to push the romantic thing, I think, because you know what those circumstances where you're like, but wouldn't this be great? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was one of those things. So I had a couple of those. But anyway, we were like together for a year and I went away on this meditation retreat on Valentine's Day. I remember asking him like, do you mind if I go? And he's like, no, no, please do your thing. Like this is important to you. So I went on this silent meditation retreat. The whole time in the retreat, I was just like, the realization I came to is like, we're not supposed to be together. We're not supposed to be together. So the last day of the retreat was Valentine's Day morning. I drove home and I broke up with him on Valentine's Day. And I was like, (laughs) I know, I was like, I know this timing's really bad because it's Valentine's Day, but I just had like three days in silence in this retreat. And like, I, you know, I just really, I don't think we should be together. He took it really well. And now we're still friends. But I just remember being like, you couldn't have waited till the next day, Carrie, like the next day. No, I I had to get it like right then. It was fresh. Like I needed to keep my thoughts and my clarity fresh. And you also were sitting in silence for three days and it was all you thought about. Of course, you needed to just like say it and get it out there. Like the minute my mouth diarrhea opened. Exactly. All right, guys. Well, we hope that you don't give your lover a huge dragon from China. 
and we're California raisin. Just do like incrementally better than that. Like, <laughs> just like even a little bit. And I think you'll be fine. Write a poem on a paper towel. A roses are red, violets are blue poem. And that's better. Yeah. Or just like draw like a minimalist stick figure and be like, I made you this drawing. I am a sucker for a bad love poem. Of Steve Jobs. Because it's a stick <laughs> figure. Get it? Get it? Roses are red. Violets are blue. Ashley's arms are long. Her vagina too. <laughs> <laughs> that was really good. Thanks, I just came up with that. I'm a poet. You are a poet. I really am. Happy Valentine's Day, guys. Happy May Valentine's Day. May you find Day. somebody who makes you laugh as much as Carrie and I make each other laugh. Seriously, guys. Um, hashtag swag bag? Yeah, let's do it. Hashtag swag bag. Uh, so my hashtag swag bag pick this week is the Casa Luna Clarity Reed Diffuser from Target. Actually, I don't know if they sell it other places. I got it at Target. It was about 15 or $16, which actually at the time I was like, do I really need to spend $16 on a Reed diffuser for the bathroom that already has a candle in it? But the reviews were so good. They were all like, this is the best. This is so great. So I ordered it and it is as magical as everyone told me it would be. It's smells so good. I like very strong perfumey smells. I know Carrie, you don't. My whole bathroom just smells so good. Like even just walking past the bathroom, you can smell it. I also worked at Abercrombie where, you know, you walked by. Oh God. Just thinking about Abercrombie gives me a headache. Oh, I loved it. They would put me in charge of spraying all the mannequins down with fierce and I love that job. Oh God, that would be so terrible. But anyway, Casa Luna. Clarity. I like to think that Casa Luna is our brand, me and Luna's, that we sell for Target. Oh, yeah, and that's make a cute. Lot of money. Your, your, your home goods exactly. brand, not, not home goods, the store. Right, but, but that's product. just like, our, yes, our personal product. The genre. Yes. Yeah. What's yours? Mine is Alter Ego Chocolate. They make these truffle chocolates. They had them at Whole Foods pretty regularly. I knew you were going to say, they're from Whole Foods. They, ha- they had them at Whole Foods pretty regularly, but now they don't. And I'm like ordering them from Amazon, which ordering food from Amazon makes me really creeped out. Like it's not from Amazon fresh. Yeah, it's just like straight up Amazon. How much are these things? Let's see. I'm gonna look it up. Cause I bet they're beautiful looking, right? No, they're they're just regular. Alter ego oh. truffles. They have a couple different flavors, salted caramel, sea salt truffle. Oh, eco. Yeah. Oh, got it, got it. These look good, though. Yeah, they're really good. And I'm not, I don't really like chocolate. Like, I'm not really a chocolate person. But every once in a while, I get a hankering for chocolate, usually when I have my period. And it's really specific because, again, I don't love chocolate, so I'm not just going to, like, take any kind of chocolate just because I love it. And these are really, really delicious. And I always have them in the house because sometimes I just want something, like, a little bit sweet. Yeah. They're calorically like not crazy because it's dark chocolate and like coconut oh, these oil. These are expensive. Yeah, I only ever eat one. Like you just eat one every once yeah, in a while. Yeah, they last you forever. We would go through this in like a week. I just keep them because they're really rich and just like like tonight I had dinner and then I was like, I just want a little something sweet. That's a good trick though. Yeah, so they're like I said, they're truffle. I only like the truffles. I've tried their regular chocolate, but I really only just like these little truffle things. And I'll link it in Amazon. Although occasionally I'll see it at a Whole Foods. Like every time I go to a random Whole Foods, I check it because some Whole Foods have them, some don't. I just bought like three boxes because they had like a holiday box that had the truffles oh. in them. I was picturing um like mast brothers. No, you know I don't like those. Are? Yeah, I don't. I mean, I, I don't like I love them either. those paper, but I don't really. Yeah, they don't taste that great. No. Mm-mm. Okay, well, there you have it, guys. Yeah, there you go, guys. Thanks so much for listening. Love you. Bye. Okay, that's our show today, folks. Thank you so much for giving us a listen. Please do not forget to rate, review, and subscribe. We are out here on our own, and these things really, really matter. We want to hear from you. Tell us what you want to hear. Email us at momtouragepod at gmail.com. Follow us on Instagram at momtouragepodcast to hang out with us all week long. We are here for you. You are not alone. We got you. So go ahead, girl. Know this posse is behind you and go slay. Momtourage is written and produced by Ashley Heron-Smith and Carrie Sotero. Recorded and mixed by Lee Mars. Our theme song, MILF, is by the band Mama Drama. You can find them on Instagram at mamadramaband or mamadramaband.com.
Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.